Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading today is from 1 Kings 19, verses 1 through 13. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the word of the Lord. We are on our fourth week of this sermon series called Unsubscribe as we consider the different messages, the influences that come to us, the habits and the trends that come to us in our life from which hold us back from full health and fully following and loving Christ. Uh, Our scripture uh, that we've used as a theme for this whole sermon series is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. So as we consider about how to guard our heart, we are considering what the different things to unsubscribe from. And uh, we've talked about, uh, through this series, the issue of busyness, of the hurried life. We've talked about the problem of comparison. Last week we talked about antagonism, the culture in which we live, which seems to be so combative and hostile. And this week uh, we are now considering uh, unsubscribing from noise. Uh, we live in an increasingly, increasingly noisy culture, noisy day. The World Health Organization in 2011 made a report that called noise pollution a modern plague, considering that there is an overwhelming evidence that exposure to environmental noise has adverse effects on the health of the population. And I'm pretty sure in the last eight years, the the world has not gotten quieter. I listened to a wonderful interview on silence, and I get the irony of that statement. Listen to a great interview on silence 
uh, where a man named Gordon Hempton, he's an acoustic ecologist. This is on a radio show called On Being. He's an acoustic ecologist, which means he records the natural sounds from different landscapes. He's a special, his specialty is to go into places that are untouched by human sound and record them. And he has this belief that silence is becoming an endangered species. It's endangered because noise, specifically from human civilization, continues to cover the natural sounds of our world. And there are fewer and fewer places in our world without noise pollution. And one of the lines, and when I was listening to this, uh, this, this radio show, one of the lines that Hempton said just struck me. It just stood out to me. And it actually, it's, it's going it's to be our working definition for this sermon today. And it's his idea of what silence really is. For Hempton, silence is not an absence of sound. Silence is a particular presence to life. So again, silence is not the absence of sound, of hearing nothing, but it's actually about being particularly present to life. To engage in silence means that we walk into silence and observe it. We take it in without this uh, feeling of covering it up. As noise covers and dominates silence, silence is actually the practice of presence. It's the posture of someone who is present to their surroundings with attentiveness, awareness, unsubscribed from the noise in our world that fills our days. And I think uh, as we encounter this idea, it seems that our lives demonstrate our preference for noise. In preparing for this message, I am so incriminated like, by just my desire, my preference for noise. If you were to observe my life, you would see how I live and think that silence might actually be dangerous. For the way in which I try to fill it, try to avoid it in my life, you would think that silence is something to avoid, to be afraid of. I go from thing to thing, and whenever there is silence, there is an impulse quickly to fill it, to fill it with a podcast, music, a phone call. And if something ends early, great, I can watch that video, I can check in with social media or write that email. God forbid I actually use some time, some margin in my life to rest or to breathe or to look around or to daydream. I saw someone who made a post uh, about some. There was a post about someone who was eating in a cafe by themselves without their phone, like there's some maniac or something, <laughs> like someone at distrust. In the contemporary life, silence seems to be something to avoid. And what do we miss out on by avoiding silence? Like, what's? Why is it something from which we need to unsubscribe? Well, I believe that healing and rest gets covered up by productivity. Creativity, imagination are numbed by our preference for constant entertainment. And we lack the ability to be present. To be present with each other, to be present even internally, and be, more importantly, to be present to God. This quote from a man named Max Picard, a Swiss writer who died in the 1960s, has stayed with me this week. He said this, Silence stands outside the world of profit and utility. It cannot be exploited for profit. You cannot get anything out of it. It is unproductive. Therefore, it is regarded as useless. Yet, there is more help in healing and silence than in all useful things. He wrote this before mid-1960s. I don't know when he wrote it, but he was dead mid-1960s. 
And think about the way in which the culture has changed since then. We are infatuated with useful things, with noise. And I think this is a great menace to the soulful life, a life that fosters a deep and rich connection to God and to others. So let's just take a second here and let's just get personal. What is your relationship to silence like? If you struggle with silence, why? There's some of us who like, oh, we long to get away. We long to just be by yourself and be silent. After Jen was gone this weekend and I had the kids alone, I, oh, I have a renewed passion for silence in my life. But there's other people for which they just want to run from silence, get away from it. Why do you, why do you run from silence? For some of us, silence provokes anxiety. Some of us, it feels useless, it feels unproductive, and that's what we want our days to be, is productive. We're checking off the box. Do you use noise to escape the disappointments in your day? Does silence just feel lonely in your life? All right, so to rephrase our definition from earlier, silence is not just the lack of noise. It's the practice of intentional presence, being here. Presence to our world, presence internally, and presence to Christ. It is a life in response to the words of Psalm 46, which said this, Be still and know that I am God. So we have a beautiful and a challenging example of what can happen in the gift of silence in this the scripture reading that we've already had here from uh, the life of Elijah. This was in 1 Kings 19. Elijah is actually coming out of an incredible victory. We don't know this but what happened in 1 Kings 18 is that uh, Israel was living in a time which they turned against God. And there was, Israel was being led by King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, who were absolutely legendary in their betrayal of God's laws, in the abandonment of who God was. Their betrayal of God ended up with this great showdown where they had prophets of Baal, like in the showdown against Elijah. And, and there's 450 prophets of Baal in just Elijah. And it ends with God demonstrating his power by sending fire from heaven, consuming the offerings, and ending all 450 prophets. But this moment, it actually, uh, it could have been something just absolutely rejoicing for Elijah, where the people remembered who God was in God's name. Elijah's reputation increased as a powerful communicator uh, for God. But there was a flip side to this moment. The flip side was this. This really, really upset Queen Jezebel. And she made the declaration that surely I give my word and my promise that by this time tomorrow, Elijah will be dead. And then all of a sudden, something triggered within Elijah and he ran for his life. I think Elijah's life was filled with noise at this time. The noise of the approval of the community of Israel. There was this probably internal noise of wanting to be found, of being valued and respected. There's also this, this incredible moment, this dramatic moment that just happened with God. And then now the voice of threats that he's, he's, he will be dead within a day. And what did Elijah do with this noise? What did he do? In verse 3 of 1 Kings 19, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. In the midst of all this noise, the, the noise that Elijah actually chose to focus on was the noise of fear. 
fear and loneliness that he was experiencing. It overpowered the noise of that God's power that he, just, he, that he just witnessed, he was present to. And Elijah's attention was focused on the wrong thing. He was not present to God's faithfulness and power. He was instead present to the noise that was surrounding his life. So in verse 3, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. He dismissed his only friend, his only companion, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Oftentimes in Scripture, this is what happens. People, when they feel alone, they, they go into the wilderness. When they need to meet with God, they go into the wilderness. What are some like biblical stories of people going into the wilderness? Let's just actually share a couple. People running into the wilderness. Moses, after he killed the, uh, the other Egyptian, was found out and he ran to the wilderness. Yeah. Huh? David, fear for his life, Saul, ran to the wilderness. Jesus, before he entered into his public ministry, 40 days in the wilderness. Over and over again, if you were to read and study the Scripture, it's, it's incredible what God does with meeting people in the wilderness in their lives. The wilderness, though, if you were to think about it, is a place of scarcity. It's a place of silence. It's a place where we're forced to learn presence. In, in the wilderness, the noise disappears from our life, and we're just confronted with being present with ourselves, our own vulnerable self our fears, and our God. This is what happens in the wilderness. And Elijah here, is, he's confronted with this presence, and all these things start bubbling up. Elijah said this, Elijah came to a broom bush in the wilderness, and this might be the only place of shade. And he sat down underneath it, and he prayed that he might die. This is verse 4. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Take it. I'm no, I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the under the bush and fell asleep. In this wilderness moment, Elijah is absolutely depleted. He's exhausted. He's lonely. He's so vulnerable right here, right? And isn't it interesting how life is? Elijah's coming off of one of the probably the greatest moments of his life, a spiritual mountaintop where God showed off his power and presence. In a few verses, though, he is absolutely despondent. There's some people in this church, you know this, when you have this great encounter in your life, you just almost wait and anticipate something really bad to happen. These are the worst case scenario people. You're just like, wait for the second shoe to drop. You're like, okay, so, so great that everything is going well, but when is that going to happen? This is what happens for Elijah. From the mountaintop of victory, he's now in the wilderness of despair. And, and in these wilderness moments, we're forced to meet with God and the script that we've been given in the rest of life doesn't seem to work anymore. And in many ways, we're forced just to be honest. Honest with the despair in our life. And Elijah was going through this, and he was such, he was such a sorrowful state that he is, wants to die. Take my life, God. I just saw you do that with just a chapter ago. Can you take my life? This reminds us that depression and even suicidal thoughts can come to the most devout. I've seen too often in the last half year so many pastors take their life. I know that suicide and depression are surrounding a lot of our lives, a lot of our communities. And I just, you know, Elijah, he's the greatest, men, 
greatest people of God, the greatest prophets of God, and here he is, and reminding us that depression is not a sign of faithlessness. It can come to the most devout. It's a part of the human condition of us experiencing darkness, and I'm just appreciating Elijah's honesty to God in this wilderness moment, in the midst of silence, for him to be aware of what's going on enough where he can be present with God. And God meets with Elijah and does some spiritual work, some soulful work here of telling Elijah to take a nap. Have some food. Chicken noodle soup for the soul. Like, here you go. Why don't you take a nap? Why don't you rest? Because sometimes that's what we need the most. In verse 8, he got up and he ate and drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went to the cave and spent the night. Now, this might be lost on us, but places hold meanings. Places hold meanings in Scripture. And this mountain, this Mount Horeb, has been a place where many people had met profoundly with God. For generations and generations before him, people met with God, just like Moses did in his own running, where he felt alone and depleted. He met with God in this mountain. There's significance to this place. And I love to see what God does when he gets Elijah in this place. Notice what God does next. And the word of the Lord came to him. And asked, God asked him this question, What are you doing here, Elijah? After 40 days of, <laughs> of a journey into the desert, what are you doing here? In the silence and in this wilderness, God is asking Elijah to dig deeper. God knows exactly why he's here, but God is doing something. He's, he's wanting Elijah to look at what's beneath us beneath the surface of our soul. And by the way, I think that's why many of us don't want to have silence in our life. We don't want to have to do the harder work of looking within our hearts and souls and really what's going on to answer simple questions like, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, what's, what's driving you right now? How did, how did you get here? The simple questions that we have a tendency to cover up with noise. I think that's why silence can be many, hard for many of us. In verse 10, Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. I am the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. I love to just consider what Elijah is saying here. Is he's saying, I'm alone. I have done everything right. And I'm alone, and they're coming after me. We find here that Elijah is now present with himself. He's present with his fear, with his frustration, and his anger, and his hopelessness. It's all right there in his response. Elijah now is present with himself. And what is so important is to see that God is present there too. Notice how God responds in verse 11. The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God's own presence I'm going, to, I'm going to come to you. Go on, go on open the opening of this, of this mountain and just get ready because I'm about to pass by. Prepare yourself. I like to imagine all, all the ways in which Elijah was anticipating, expecting for this to happen. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Like, slow down and actually imagine what these experiences would have been like. The sound, the feeling, the rubble of it all. 
And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. These are all the ways in which we might expect God, almighty, all-powerful, to show up, to reveal that God is there with us. Verse 12 continues. But after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. God's presence was in this gentle whisper, which I'm sure after the powerful wind and the earthquake and the fire seemed even more shocking. Remember just a chapter ago, Elijah saw God move with fire. He's heard stories of earthquakes, how God showed up in that way. Just a chapter ago, he saw storms and wind used by God, but God is here in a different way in the form of this gentle whisper. Some scholars, they even translate this phrase, and after the fire, God spoke in the sound of sheer silence. The culmination of God's presence and power was to meet Elijah in silence. Not a noise, not in the dramatic, but just by being there. God often meets us in our deepest needs with just simple and quiet presence. This is both comforting and this is both frustrating. It's challenging because we, sometimes we want God to act. We want things to happen. We want God to move in power to bring the supernatural. And instead, God gives a silent presence. When we're looking for answers, just like Elijah was, we're looking for answers. Why this happened? Why, how could this happen? we might receive silent presence. We want a miracle. When we want direction, all we get is a holy and gentle whisper. God is with Elijah in this silence. There's a lot of meaning that we can take from this, but for me today, what, what it makes me think of as we think about the noise that surrounds our world is silence is always around us. It's always around us. It's not like silence is not present we just have a tendency to cover it. We have a tendency to turn, uh, turn on the noise in our world, to prefer that. But what if we actually turn off the noise and unsubscribe from the noise, the humming noise of our productive world, and we learn to be present to God's presence? What if we actually learn to be present to the presence of Christ, always here, always with us, there's a difference between acknowledging that God is here and being present to God's presence. This is what I mean. If, if you're, you know this experience when you're with a loved one, a friend, a spouse, whomever, and you really want to connect with them, and they are there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I'm listening. You know, they're there, but they're not there with their phone. Well, they're, they're there, but they're not present. This is a picture for many of us, our spiritual life with God. We know that God is with us, but we are not with God. We're not present. Are we willing to rediscover this gift of silence, of being present with God, unsubscribed from the world of noise? If silence is the practice of presence, the Christian life, in the Christian life, then silence is essential. Silence is where we can experience healing, where we can get clarity in our life when we receive wise instruction. So it's essential for us to unsubscribe from the noise of our world, to figure out rhythms of silence and presence with God. 
What we find in this story is that Elijah has met with God in the sound of silence. And now Elijah is sent back. If you were to continue to read this story, he's sent back because this story is not over. Elijah thought it was over, but it wasn't over with God. Elijah will not suffer without a purpose. If you were to keep reading, you'd find that God is writing another chapter. He's preparing a new king. God wants Elijah to anoint his, uh, his mentee, uh, Elijah, who will be trained and follow in, which in his footsteps. And God has also reserved 7,000 people in Israel who have not lost their faith. All have been waiting for a leader. And my guess is from here on out, Elijah is marked by a different life. A life because he's experienced God in the surprising ways of encountering God in the silence of his life. Elijah had learned to focus on the right thing, not on the noise of the threats of this world, but learning to focus on the presence of Christ. I wonder what silence was for Elijah's life from then on out. Anytime there was silence, I wonder if he just remembered that as as a marker of God's nearness in, in his presence. So this leads me to a question that I've, I've been wrestling personally, which is, what is my relationship to silence? What role does silence play in my life? Does it evoke loneliness and anxiety? Is it drowned out by technology and productivity and busyness or the sound of screaming kids or a screaming spouse? Or do I see the silence in my life as a gift from God? I think one of the most important aspects of a life with God, of following Jesus in our life, is to discover the importance of silence. It's not easy. It's, it's very difficult for us. Because many of us, when we try it out, we get quickly disheartened. We feel like it's not, much, not, not much is happening. It's not doing much. But I think that it takes time and practice for us to experience the significance and power of silence. This is a beautiful a picture which I heard years ago. Arthur Paul, Parker Palmer shared a great analogy of the power of silence for our soul. He said, if our soul was like a wild animal and you were wanting to befriend this wild animal, would you barge into the forest and scream out loud, okay, you only have four minutes. Come on out. Come on. Hurry up. You would expect to have any encounter to have this wild animal befriended? No, that would never happen. Instead, what would you do? Well, you'd quietly enter into the forest You'd find some tree in which you sat over and over again, and you would sit there silently. You would rest, knowing that the first day you're going to see nothing. Second day, nothing. But after some amount of time of doing this again and again, one day in the corner of your eye, cloaked in silent steps, this wild animal would emerge from the, from the bush. And you would see it and greet it slowly. And after a while you might actually befriend this animal. So this is a picture for Parker Palmer in the way in which we need to learn to experience uh, meeting God in silence. It's going to be awkward. It would be clumsy. Don't expect it to happen magically. But over time, what we find is silence is feeding your soul. It will be fruitful, not immediately, but over time. And it will be a lifeline for you and your relationship with God. So I just want to offer some practical uh, some uh, instructions for how we could do this as a community. If our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together, it means we need practices in which we can learn to do this together. So just a couple of uh, uh, practices that we could try out in our life. Hopefully one of these might be meaningful to you, ways in which to uh, unsubscribe from noise and subscribe to silence. 
First off is don't fill the margins. One practice is to not fill the margins. Instead of filling the moments of our day that we end up having margin between meetings and different things like that, what if we actually saw these margins as prompts to be present to God? If a meeting ends early, fill that moment with presence, with prayer. If there is a lunar eclipse and all the kids are happily playing together, instead of whipping out your phone, doing it, what if you actually use this as a moment to breathe and observe? What if we can invite Christ's presence in the margin of our days as a prompt to experience that? Secondly, is to schedule interruptions. I've actually been trying this out. I, I, sometimes I try to do things before I tell you to do it. Other times I don't. But this week I've been trying to do this, uh, where you schedule interruptions. Uh, so three times a day, I have a reminder that buzz on my phone. It's uh, three times a day, and it's just for me to stop, to notice what's going on around me, to ask God what's going on, and for us to spend some time praying. And uh, the hardest part is what? Stopping, right? You know, so I get prompts for at 8 a.m., I think 3 a.m., at 8 p.m., and for me, it's been hard just to stop, but this has been scheduling interruptions in my day so that I learn to be present with God throughout all of my day, noticing what's around me, noticing what's, what's going on inside of me as well, and inviting God into the moments of the day. So I'd invite you, for some of you, that might be a good way in which you can practice silence and presence. Third is to begin your day with silence. Now, this might be the most important way in which we can unsubscribe from the noise, is to begin our day with a practice of silence. And I know many of you are like, not a morning person, not going to happen. I get it. There's nothing like, nothing is like legalistic. But I know when I start my day with silence and presence, I have a tendency to have that continue through the rest of my day. It sets a tone. Yet if I start my day with productivity, I will try to be productive the rest of my day. If I start my day with my phone and just responding to whatever news cycle has came to me, I will respond the rest of my day in that same way. And so for us, for us to practice uh, science at the beginning of the day is a really important practice. Now, to help us with this, um, I heard an interview with a monk a long time ago who said he would, out of necessity, he would begin his day by lighting a candle. The monk was asked, what do you do to begin your day? He's like, well, we don't have electricity, so I light a candle but that also is my time of prayer. And I use that candle to be a prompt to pray, Christ, would you illuminate my mind today? Or Christ, would you, uh, would you light my path? I, I want to know how to follow you. Or even just to light the candle and say, Christ, you are the light of the world. And spend some time declaring who God is. And so uh, for us as a treat, we have candles for everyone on the way out. And our, in, our challenge for us as a community, is for us, when you wake up, or later on in the day, if it has to be, but when you wake up, uh, to find a quiet place, to set your phone for, if you want to, five minutes is a great time, if you want to do less or more, you can do that too. Set your, set your phone for five minutes, light the candle, and just practice presence with Christ, in prayer, in refle- reflection, just to be with Christ. And I wonder what will happen if we do this together as a community. But our, our challenge for us is, regardless of what you do, is this week, get away with God. Leave the busyness of this world, unsubscribe from the noise that surrounds us, and learn to be present to Christ's presence. Learn to, to be with Christ. For God longs to, to show you his power, his nearness, perhaps not in the mighty deeds of this world, but in the sound of sheer silence.